this evening take a break from our Sunday night study in the book of Ruth and Lord willing resume there next week. Let me again remind you just to keep it in our thinking to be praying for our upcoming revival meetings with evangelist Scott Pauley the middle of April. Am I not on? How's that? Is that better? All right. Uh, be praying about that and uh, we serve a prayer hearing, prayer answering God. And when we are doing what we can do through prayer and drawing nigh to God and dealing with known sin, when we are doing what we can do to prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the seed of the word of God, when it is sown and watered, uh, it will bring forth fruit. And so I want you to be praying about that and let's just be focusing our attention more and more as the days pass between now and the 16th, 17th, and 18th of April, uh, asking the Lord to do a work in our midst, not only to revive the saints, but then also to give us opportunity to see unbelievers evangelized and brought to Christ. It would be great to see some people saved uh, in our services, and so you be praying about that uh, as we move toward that. Psalm chapter 16 uh, this is one of my personal favorite psalms. I mentioned to someone this morning I was going to be preaching from the psalms, and then they immediately teased back and said, well, Pastor Capel will sure appreciate that. Uh, we all know here how much Pastor Capel loves the psalms, and uh, looking forward to our time together this evening. I want to notice the title of the psalm. I'll come back after we read the entire psalm and give an explanation of the word miktam. But it's called a miktam of David. You may be able to see in a margin, it's called a golden psalm of David. Uh, some may have uh, the idea of the word rule or standard. It's the idea of a golden standard. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to know the words of David. Notice these under inspiration. We have no idea what the historical setting was. We can uh, surmise that. But one of the things I often remind myself of when I come to a psalm that doesn't give a historical setting. You know, sometimes the psalmist gave a historical backdrop, especially some of the psalms of David. In this case, there isn't one. And I think I remind myself in the, of this, and that is if there's not a historical backdrop, then that, in a sense, just maybe broadens the application uh, in our lives. And there's just a thought for us to have in our minds as we move forward. Verse number one, David cries out to the Lord, Preserve me. O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names, that is the names of other gods, into my lips." The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. 
Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And all God's people said. I'd like to preach a message this evening entitled, God is enough. God is enough. Let's pray. Father, would you help us in the next few moments together during this worship hour as we look into your word. Thank you so much for the encouragement of the music, the special music and the congregational singing, Lord, and how we've been able to teach and admonish and encourage one another even as we've worshiped you. I ask for your help, Lord, as we look into this psalm and just move section by verse by verse, section by section through it and seek to draw strength in our own hearts and lives from the fact that you're enough. And we could say more than enough. We thank you for the abundance of your grace, the superabundance of your grace. We thank you for the full sufficiency of who you are and that in you and in your presence is not just joy but fullness of joy the abundance of joy. So help us tonight. Give us spiritual meat and drink in this preaching time tonight that will feed us and sustain us and strengthen us for the week that is ahead. Lord, you know in your omniscience, you're already in our tomorrow because you live in an eternal present. You know what is on the horizon for this week. You know the needs that we will face, the battles, the burdens the struggles, the trials. You know the temptations that we will face. And I'm asking you, Lord, to use the ministry of your word today in our lives, in particular this evening, to equip us for what you know is already ahead. So we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth. Amen. The word miktam, as I've already mentioned, means a golden or a standard or a rule. And it's the sense that there's a primary thought that David, though he may not have used those exact words, may be implied, but a primary thought that David is putting forth in that psalm that is a governing principle for how we view life. And it becomes a golden standard. When we think about the fact that God is more than enough, there are a number of psalms that communicate that, but one in particular that comes to mind is Psalm 73. In verse number 25, if you want to look there, maybe you have it memorized, Psalm 73 in verses 25 and 26, the psalmist asks the question, and it's a question with an understood answer, whom have I in heaven but thee? What's the understood answer to that question? No one. He's talking about the sufficiency of God in his life. And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength. The idea of the word strength there is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. One of many ways of saying God is enough. He's all that I need as it relates to heaven. He's all that I need as it relates to earth. And may we say the same of the Father that we do of the Son. Christ is all I need. As we think about a standard or a rule, I was thinking of a very practical illustration of that to help us set a frame of reference in our minds as we move through this psalm and our time together this evening. This week, I finished a search for a used midsize vehicle. 
The Lord gave us direction. We were able to purchase that. We were making the decision because we were putting, putting so many miles on that Suburban. And, you know, they just designed those Suburbans to get really awesome gas mileage. And uh, we were watching the miles rack up and trying to save some life on it. So I began doing some searching for reliable, used, mid-sized sedans or cars. And something interesting happened as I would search uh, when it came to the top 10 or the best used mid-sized cars. And you saw the different ways that they rated used mid-sized cars when it came to reliability and mechanical function long term and the reviews of customers and the reputation of the manufacturer and how they retained their value, I began to notice very quickly that at the very top or in the top few vehicles of every one of those different lists where they rated used midsize cars was the Toyota Camry. And uh, many of us are familiar with that. Now, you may not be a Toyota person, I was not thinking about Ford. I was not thinking about Chevy. I was thinking about gas mileage. Okay. I kept my Chevy, by the way. I still have the Suburban. But you know what I noticed happened is that the the Toyota Camry, if I can say it this way, it became the standard by which the search was governed. It was the filter, if you would, through which I viewed all of the different kinds of mid-sized used cars that I was considering. And that's the idea of a miktam. There's a principle. This is the first of six miktam psalms that David wrote. The others, chapter 54 to 60, uh, 55, 56 to 60, I believe it is. So this is the first of those six miktams. And the idea is this, is that it sets forth a great truth or a principle that governs the decisions of life or creates a filter by which I view everything in life. Let me just say this. When you think of the miktam, the golden standard, and this statement, God is enough, can you see how important it is to view everything through that thought? God is enough. And we say more than enough. Verse number one, God is enough for my preservation. David said, preserve me. It's the idea of protect me, keep me, uphold me, guard me. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. The word trust here has the idea of a place of protection to which one flees. God is enough for my preservation. We touched on this a little bit this morning, but there are a lot of other things in life that people look to for security, aren't there? Okay. Reputation, relationships, financial stability. You know, you look in the Bible even, and it's very easy to see, and you do a little bit of traveling, and you'll find out that there are plenty of people in this world who have God's blessing on them who have very little materially. Okay. And David wants us to understand that God is enough when it comes to my preservation, my protection. The point is this, is that David was able to put his complete care in the Lord's hands. Because God is enough. And I want you to understand tonight that you are well able to put your complete care in God's hands. Physical protection, spiritual, emotional protection. In the investment world, investors will talk about the importance of diversifying in your investments. 
Don't put all your money in one place. You need to put some money in this account and some money in this kind of an investment and some money in this kind of an investment. The last thing you want to do is put all your money, all your eggs in one basket because what if that one folds? But the Bible principle is this. God is enough. You can put everything into him for preservation. I thought about this thought. Growing up in a pastor's home and now having been an assistant pastor and pastored for a number, number of years, I've had the privilege of rubbing shoulders with a lot of God's people over the years. And I've noticed this, that the, the happiest and may I say the most well-preserved, the best well-preserved saints that I've met, older saints who, when this is what I mean by that, you get around them, they're just, I'm like, how are you doing? And they may have aches and pains, but they're like, Pastor, God's been so good to me. I've been young and now I'm old. I've seen the right, never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. God's been faithful and there's just joy that exudes from them. I have found this connection that the happiest, well-preserved saints are those who made God their preserver a long time ago. Okay. Where there's been an issue with trust... And trusting the Lord for preservation and care. Can I just say that believers don't age well when they live that way? Okay. God is enough for your preservation to just invest everything in Him. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. God is enough, number two, as we look at David's words here, He is enough for my devotion. That is when we speak of dedication, devotion in the sense of worship and loyalty. Notice verse number 2. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. David likes to talk to his soul a lot, doesn't he? You notice that we mentioned that a couple of services ago, Psalm 42 and 43. David calling his soul on the carpet. David talked to himself a lot. Let me just say this, and it's a good point to repeat, and that is this. It's better to talk to yourself than it is to listen to yourself. What do you mean, Pastor? Because most of the time we listen to ourselves, it comes out negative because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Okay, but when we talk to ourselves like David did, we're saying to our soul, Why art thou cast down? Hope in God. And David would have us to remember that God is enough, and therefore our devotion should be to Him. We should be and can be completely devoted to Him. Notice what David says here, O my soul, thou said to the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Uh, the idea of this statement, as I understand it, and this is a difficult one, but I've read a lot of commentaries and looked at the explanation that other men have given, and the idea, the best I can understand this, is that what David is saying is this, is, Lord, I'm completely devoted and loyal to you, and my goodness, any goodness that I have, does not add anything to you. Okay? Can we say it this way? I think there are some folks that think God's really lucky to have them. Okay? David is acknowledging, you know what? Any goodness that I have comes from you anyway. The vestiges of God's image in me 
And so his devotion was based on his humility. Look, if you would, just a few pages back to the left, Job chapter 35 and verse number 7. Now, these are the words of Elihu, and we understand the context that we need to take Job's three friends' words in, but even a dead clock can be right twice a day. And every once in a while, these guys, I heard a preacher say years ago, you know a pig when he's rooting, rooting in a barnyard, he every once in a while comes up on an acorn. <laughs> okay, find something good. And in this case, Elihu did. Notice what he says, Psalm th- or Job 35, verse number 7. If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? The understood answer is nothing. There's nothing that I add to God. In and of myself. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. He phrased it as a question What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Understood answer nothing. In other words, everything that I have comes directly from the hand of God. I don't add anything to Him. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so it calls out my devotion. But I want you to notice, God is enough for my preservation. God is enough for my devotion. And that should motivate us to flee idolatry and pride. By the way, both are alive and well. Idolatry and pride are alive and well. If not, then why did the New Testament authors have to multiple times admonish us to flee from idolatry and to remind us that covetousness is idolatry. And I think about Paul's words in the pastoral epistles and we talk about uh, the psychological advice that is given sometimes in the self-help world. You just need to love yourself. You know, when I read, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter number 3, I find out very quickly, I don't have trouble loving myself. I do that very well by nature. In the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Let me tell you, what you love most is what you idolize. And in many people's cases, it may well be that they are their own idol or God. But when we look at the Lord and we recognize who He is and who I am in light of Him and that my goodness, whatever it is, adds nothing to Him, it calls out devotion. He is enough. I don't need anything else. But I notice as well, God is enough for my associations. And again, this is a difficult verse, but I want you to notice verse number three and then I'll give you the idea of what I believe is being said here based on the study that I've done, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names unto my lips. Just in brief, as I understand this passage, David is teaching us that God is enough as it relates to my association with people. And the whole whole point appears to be this, that David is saying, my delight is in God's saints on earth. My delight is in those who are excellent because of their association to the Lord. And if I can say it this way, God is enough, and anybody in this earth that is His, those are the people I'm going to be hanging around. God is enough, 
and the people that are his, the saints that are in the earth, those are the people my delight is going to be in. God is enough, and that's going to govern. There's that miktam, that golden standard, that's going to govern my associations. Okay? And that's a great verse when it comes to the holiness that is so vital in the life of the believer. But I want you to notice number four, for the sake of time. God is enough for my satisfaction. He's enough for my preservation, for my devotion, for my association. He is enough for my satisfaction. We sang it a couple weeks ago, and it has become, over the last several years, one of my favorite hymns all my life long. I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Hallelujah, I have found him. (laughs) Who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I'm now saved. I'm satisfied with Jesus because God is enough. That's good for my satisfaction. Notice verse number five and six. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. As I look at these two verses, David really gives three categories where God is enough and therefore David is satisfied as it relates to God's provision in David's life, as it relates to God's choosing of David's destiny. And then also when it comes to the possessions that belong to David or that God entrusts to David. First of all, David was satisfied in God is enough when it came to God's provision in his life. Verse number five, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. Is the mic going or did it just go out, guys? Is it all right? Okay. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. As I understand it, the word portion that David uses here speaks of the food. He's talking about God's material provision for David. The Lord is the the food of mine inheritance, what God has set in store for David, and of my cup. And notice this. David doesn't say that the Lord gives the portion. The Lord is the portion. He is enough. He satisfies. Notice the statement there, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. As I understand this, and we often do this 3,000 years later, when someone comes to our home, one of the first things that we do is we offer them a, a drink, a glass of sweet tea. Okay. And I got to tell you, I grew up on southern sweet tea because of a North Carolina mama. And I got enough sugar in those 8 to 10 years in those experiences in North Carolina sweet tea that I only take my sweet tea mildly sweetened now. Okay. I think my body is still drawing off the reserves of the sugar I got from those early experiences. A cup to a gallon and in some cases more. Yeah. But it's the idea of cup is, is, is an offer of, get this, when, when the cup was given in David's context, it was offered to a guest, it was essentially saying that this is the first, but there's a whole lot more coming. 
That's good. The Lord's our cup. He's the portion of our cup. It's as if he's saying, now here, this is what I'm, I'm going to give you this just to take care of you right now, but I want you to know that there's just going to continually be more coming. Amen. Keep your hand here and look at Psalm 116. Psalm 116. This is one of my... Uh, cherished psalms as well. I better be careful. I'll be like Pastor Capel here. And every psalm's my favorite psalm. Amen. Psalm 116, verse number 12. What shall I render? The idea is return. What shall I return or render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me, question mark, toward me? What's the understood answer to that question? Okay, really, there's nothing that you and I can do to pay the Lord back. Okay, there's nothing that we can do. Now, the psalmist would go on to say, because of that, even though theoretically I can't pay him back, I am going to pay my vows. I am going to sell out to him. But I want you to notice, if you would, verse number 13. I will take the cup of salvation. It's a powerful picture. It, it talks of getting every bit out of it. I will take the cup of salvation. When the psalmist says that in Psalm 116, he's basically saying, I am going to turn it bottoms up so that I don't miss any of it. I do not want to get to heaven. And the Lord say to me, there were so many more things I had in store for you, but you never availed yourself of them. God is enough for my satisfaction when it comes to his provision. Notice what else David goes on to say. Thou maintainest my lot. The idea of the word maintainest is to hold together my lot. He's not talking about a lot of land like our church property is 14 and a half acres, but he's literally talking about the lot by which decisions were made. They would be cast. The lot is cast in the lap, but the disposing thereof is of the Lord. And essentially what David is saying is that the Lord holds my destiny in his hands. Let me tell you something. You can trust God with your future. You say, well, of course we know that, Pastor. And yet how often we, I, forget that, lose sight of it. Thou maintainest, you hold together my destiny. By the way, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us that all things are held together in creation by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he can hold creation together, he can hold your life together too. Yeah, that's right. okay. Verse number 6, the lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Here is the idea of possession. His plans for me now. David, as if he could look at his life and God's will for him as a big piece of property, said, where I see where the lines are, the boundary lines are, they've fallen in pleasant places. Yeah, I have a goodly heritage. Look at what God's done to me, for me. His will is good and perfect and acceptable. Okay. And so God is enough for my satisfaction. I notice number five, as we look at verse number seven, God is enough for my instruction. Verse number seven, I will bless the Lord. It's the idea of praising and not inconspicuously. It's the idea of kneeling before him and praising him out loud. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. 
My rains also instruct me in the night seasons here. The picture David is using how God even works through David's innermost being in his conscience and in his heart of hearts to give him instruction even in the night season. God is enough for your instruction and mine for our counsel. And we should therefore bless the Lord. Isaiah said to the law and to the testimony. Job said, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary meat. Jeremiah said, thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Let us never forget the sufficiency of the word of God. And the indwelling ministry of the Spirit of God as he teaches and guides us into truth. I was thinking yesterday about the sufficiency of the word of God, and in particular in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, the word of God is quick, it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I told Grace this as I was thinking through it, just bouncing some things off of her. It's through the word that I know God, and it's through the word that God knows me. And I put that nose in caps. He knows me in the sense of, yes, he omnisciently knows me, but he uses the word to lay me over so that I can more and more know me like he knows me. Okay. So he is sufficient. He is enough for our instruction. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast received them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Oh, young people, those of you that were born into Christian homes and have been sitting at a mama's or a daddy's feet or a grandpa and grandma's feet for all the years of your life to this point, and you've heard the Bible taught since your earliest memories, don't presume upon or take for granted the great gift that God has given to you. The privilege of having access to the scriptures that from our infancy helped to build upon line upon line and precept upon precept to make us wise unto salvation. And then the reminder that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's one of the greatest testimonies in all the Bible for the sufficiency of the book that you hold in your lap tonight. It has the ability to bring you to salvation and it has the ability to bring you to maturity as a Christian. The book is sufficient. God gives us his instruction through his word, through the spirit of God. Often we're instructed our innermost being in the night seasons, I was thinking about a time that this happened in my own life in 2011, December the 7th, 2011. Anybody remember December 7th, the day that we'll live in infamy, Pearl Harbor? I was teaching at the college, and God was blessing the church here and had come to the realization that I could not continue to do both. And I remember going to bed miserable one night torn. Which way do I go? Do I continue to teach at the college and then uh, let the church find somebody else? Or do I resign from the college? And I was torn between the two. Do I resign from the college and, and pastor Crossroads full time? 
And I remember going to bed in agony and sharing that with Jenny at the time. And we prayed before I went to sleep that night. And I tossed and turned in the night. The sleep was fitful. But when I woke up the next morning, it was like God had just flipped a switch in my heart. The green light and the confidence that I was to resign from ambassador and to offer myself to pastor this church full time. And I will forever be grateful that God is enough to instruct us in the night seasons. God is enough, number six, I see in verse number eight, for my affection. You know, when we love the Lord like we should, it takes care of all other loves in life. Okay? When we love the Lord like we should, love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, that's the basis for our loving our neighbor as we should. All the other loves. Notice verse number eight. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. I was fascinated to do some study on this word, set this action, when David said, I have set the Lord. And it's the idea of he set it in the, uh, it was up so close to him and on such a solid foundation, there was no way that it was going to be shaken out of his sight. And it wasn't something that he set before him at a distance where he could see other things off to the side. It was the idea of he set the Lord right in front of him, so that the Lord was all he saw. I have set the Lord, and notice this, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, that's the hand of strength, I shall not be moved. Oh, the importance, as we think about God being enough, of making him the preeminent, object of our focus, of our affection, of our love. But we see Jesus, the author of Hebrews said. Consider him, that wonderful word consider, which is consider, comes from the Latin word consider, as I understand it, which means the one who's with the stars. They fix their gaze on the stars and they determine direction by the stars and considering Christ is seeing him as the bright morning star and fixing your affection, your focus on him and guiding everything else in life by your rapt attention and focus on the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, let us never forget the importance, as Jesus would say in Matthew 6, of the single I. And as John, uh, pardon me, James would say in, in James chapter number 4, of the purified heart being purified from double-mindedness. Let us revisit in our own hearts and minds the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. When Peter saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. This mountaintop experience, this is amazing. Let's just build some tabernacles and stay here a while. And a voice spoke from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. The voice sent Peter, James, and John to their faces covering their heads. And the Bible says that when they looked up, they saw no man save Jesus only.
how easy it is for us to fixate on good things and lose focus on the one thing, the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is enough for my affection, for my love. Verse number nine, God is enough for my rejoicing. Notice if you would, therefore, notice the therefore sending us back. When the love's right, verse number eight, when I've set my affection in the right place, set my affection on things above and not on things on the earth, where I'm seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ and I'm in him, when that's right, verse number nine, therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth, and my flesh also shall rest in hope. Therefore, when affection is right, joy will be right. Because God is enough. David says of his heart, verse number nine, my heart is glad. The word glad there is the idea of light or with brightness. We have times of a heavy heart for sure. I hope that when our hearts are heavy, they're heavy about the right kinds of things. But the idea here is this, is that when we recognize God is enough, the predominant attitude of our heart is going to be brightness. I heard recently about a lady who thought it was spiritual to be morbid looking all the time. I'm looking at some of you nod your heads like you know people like that. The fruit of the Spirit is, this is an interesting order because we see the same thing here. I have set the Lord always before me. It's a statement of David's affection. Verse number nine, therefore my heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So my heart will be bright. God is enough for my rejoicing. And then David says this, my glory rejoiceth. There's two ideas here as I understand it. There are times when the word glory is used to refer to a person's mouth. That is, is the audible expression of who they are. My glory rejoiceth. My mouth rejoiceth. But there seems to be another idea here as I understand it, and that is this. The word glory is the idea of uh, that which gives a person weight, if you would. It's the idea of a testimony or what a person's known for. And the word rejoiceth is a very conspicuous word. It's the idea of a very visible delight where a person's actually... Now, you can go out of here and put it on Facebook that Pastor Dietrich went Baptocostal on you tonight. Okay. The word rejoiceth literally means to spin around with delight. God said it. He used David to say it. His testimony was one of conspicuous delight. Because he was living in the reality that God is enough. And then he said, my flesh also shall rest in hope. Talking about his physical life, his earthly life shall rest. And it's the idea of a carefree rest. Devoid, absent of worry. His life here. Why? Because God's enough. And then verses 10 and 11, and I'm out of time, 
but I want to uh, finish these briefly. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. It's the word Sheol, the place of the dead, the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Let me just go ahead and acknowledge this. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter number 13, both Peter and Paul testify that the ultimate fulfillment of what David is saying here is about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the holy one who was not left in the place of death, if you would. And he did not see corruption. But David here is speaking in his own experience. He's speaking like a lot of other prophets did in the Old Testament, saying more under inspiration than they realized. Can you imagine what it was like for David? <laughs> right after the resurrection, or right between the cross and the resurrection, when I believe, Ephesians chapter number 4, that the Lord took Old Testament saints that were in paradise or Abraham's bosom, took them all to heaven. Can you imagine what it was like for David? <laughs> And it must have been before then even, I'm sure, for all these pieces and for him to realize, say, well, when I said that, that's what I was talking about. I was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let me just say this. Any hope that you and I have for the future is based on what Jesus did when he conquered death. And so God is enough as it relates to my transition. And I use that word on purpose. Death is not the end. It is a transition. It is the passage through a gate into eternal life. God is prepared for those who are his children. God is enough for my transition. And notice how David begins verse number 10. Again, connecting it back to verse number 11. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Why? David says to the Lord, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell in the place of the dead, Sheol in the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The truth of the matter is, is that though this old body is going to see corruption, it's not going to be that way forever. I think this every time. Last week, I stood at the graveside of Pastor Frank Camp's mama. And listen, when you put that body in the ground, I, and I always say this, if I do a graveside, I always say this. I just want you to know this is not the last time this dirt's going to be stirred right here. Because all we're doing today is sowing a seed. A seed that's going to come alive in victory on resurrection morning. Through the grave, God is enough. As I'm carried to his presence where there's fullness of joy, God is enough. And I miss the first statement of verse number 11 as he in the meantime walks me along the path of life, eternal life. You understand, folks, you have, I have eternal life right now. It's not something that begins when I die. You have eternal life right now. He's showing us the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Just one thought here and then I'll conclude. David says back in verse number 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. David says in verse number 11, At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore.
I've thought about this as I contemplated that. When I keep him at my right hand, it helps me look forward to the day when I'm going to be at his right hand. And how sure is all of this as we think about God being enough? He's enough for my preservation, for my devotion, for my associations, for my satisfaction, for my instruction. He's enough for my affection, for my rejoicing, and for my transition. How sure is all of this? It's as sure as Jesus Christ raised from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father. Have you ever been helped to do something or go through something because somebody you knew and loved went through it before you? My brother Levi second born, and people used to ask him how he liked being the second born. He said, I love being the second born. He goes, because I got to learn from all Nathan's mistakes. All the dumb stuff not to do. But then there were other times where he was glad I went first because it showed him how to do it. Let me just tell you something. When it comes to the rest of this life and anything that you and I will experience, and as we think about the fact that God is enough, and as we think about a death day coming that's on all of our calendars, though only God knows where it is, I want you to know that Jesus has already walked this way before you. And he's enough. And according to Hebrews 2, and this is amazing, and we, I, I still I, I have a hard time putting my brain around this, but Hebrews chapter number 2, the Bible refers to Jesus as our big brother. And big brother has already gone through everything that any of us will ever experience. He's already gone into the darkness of the grave and he's already come alive in glory on the other side and he's already seated at the right hand of the Father and positionally, Ephesians 2, 6, the Bible tells me that I am already seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's enough. And I'll leave us with that. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this wonderful psalm, the precious gem that it is. Thank you for the spirit of God who indwells us and opens our understanding and helps us to learn more of Christ. As we conclude this service this evening, I pray that we would leave in not just the assurance, but the joy, the joyful reality that God is enough. The devil's going to try and shake us off that this week. And I pray that you'd put a hedge of protection around us. And I pray that we would find ourselves going back to the truths of Psalm 16 and other related passages. God's enough. God is enough. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.